thank you for your good leadership this morning. And uh, welcome Steve Delamarter back from his uh, journeys. Steve, good to have you. And uh, Brent, who did such a good job filling in for those times, and Brent's playing drums, and we have a very, very good team of people in place. So thank you again for your good leadership this morning. It's a joy to, uh, to worship with you and have you part of that. I told uh, folks at early church to sing How Great Thou Art in that particular version. has as has a lot of energy and a lot of uh, vitality to that song, and I've not usually heard it in that, in that fashion. And I had to confess at early church, it's a song that I, I simply, I just can't sing it anymore. I, I can't even participate in it. I, I can listen to it. But that made it fresh. And the reason for my, my, uh, my trauma around that is that uh, in one of the congregations I served, I was there about 15 years. And over those years, uh, I, I officiated uh, between 300 and 350 funerals. And over those funerals, I can't tell you how many times I'd heard how great thou art. Uh, sung very, very poorly and very well. Uh, so it was such a joy to hear it and to sing it this morning in a, in a fresh way. So I appreciate Steve's having uh, chosen that one and our being able to, to sing it today. God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours today from God our Father, from our Lord, and from our Savior Jesus. Amen. The eighth chapter of Joshua is a, and I hope that uh, you have had a chance to, to read it. I hope you've had a chance and have taken the time to follow along in our readings for these weeks with the book of Joshua. And the quick summary of where we are in the 8th chapter is this story, remembering now that the people of Israel are making their way into... They need to possess the land because the covenant and the promise are about possessing, inhabiting the land. Without the land, the promise just simply is not fulfilled. Now, keeping that in mind, when you pick up the newspaper or watch television and read and hear about the conflicts in the Middle East between the Israelis, the Palestinians, then know that the origins of that conflict are found in what you're reading in the book of Joshua. The people of Israel now make their way, they're making their way to the west, and in a sense the destination has to be Jerusalem, the, the great city of, of the region. They've got a ways to go. Between where they are now and where they want to go is the city of Ai, spelled A-I. They tried in the last, last week, in uh, chapter 7, they tried to overtake the city, were not successful, for two reasons. Number one, they didn't pay attention to what God had told them. And number two, there was a theft that had taken place. One of the Israelites had stolen some of the devoted things that were dedicated, as all the spoils of war in those times were dedicated to God. So that effort was not successful. Now Joshua has regrouped. People are back together. And he's determined this new strategy, which sounds like this. If the city is here... Joshua is going to attack from the front. But at the same time, he will have already positioned a group of soldiers on one of the flanks or behind the city. 
So when Joshua holds up his spear, which is the signal for his troops to attack from the front, the gates of the city, as long as Joshua holds up his spear, the attack will continue. But the soldiers do not advance all the way to the city and get engaged in hand-to-hand combat at the fortifications. But what they do is approach the city and then draw out the soldiers from inside the walls. They, Rather than engage them in battle at that moment, they wait for the soldiers on the flanks to go into the city, and they are directed to do one thing, set it on fire. So that the soldiers who have left look back, see the city that's on fire, run back to the city, Joshua's guys follow them, and it's, it's effectively a wholesale slaughter. They're all killed. That's the story of Joshua 8. Lovely, isn't it? And I, I've said before, we could enter another conversation at some other time about how that kind of morality or what we think of as a very skewed and, and bizarre kind of morality enters into our own thinking and into the, into the Bible. That's another conversation that we can have. But in this case, what I ask you to hear and to see and to know in these stories is the promise that underlies every choice and everything that takes place. In the book of Joshua and indeed through the Bible, it's fundamentally the promise. And in the eighth chapter of Joshua, that promise gets expressed in a most unusual way. Because there is one word that occurs ten times in those 28. There's more verses, but the first 28 verses. There's one word that occurs ten times. So that means that on a ratio, it's there about every third verse. You find that word, and that is it. Some form of ambush. For some reason in this chapter, that's what Joshua emphasizes, because without the ambush, this would never have taken place. It would not have been successful. Think for a moment about this. Have you ever been ambushed? Have you ever been ambushed? Here's the definition, just in case you aren't clear quite what I mean by that. Ambush is defined as this. The act of lying in wait to attack by surprise. The act of lying in wait to attack by surprise. Here's some instances of how that's happened in the New Testament. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. So tell us then what you think. 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a coin, a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness is on the coin? Whose inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. The ambush was not successful. Because in this story, and in a couple of other ones I'll read with you as well, When Jesus is caught by surprise, when he's literally attacked and surprised and the people come at him from the side, he always responds with compassion, love, confrontation, not hostility, and eventually forgiveness, so that those who do that walk away with a different understanding and a fresh understanding, if they can accept it, of their relationship to God. Was it about paying taxes or was it not? It was about something bigger. It was about 20 years ago. I was serving on the board of uh, Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma. I also served on the university awards committee. I had the privilege of doing that. The university awards committee was the first committee of the board and of the faculty that had the obligation to screen, uh, among its tasks, to screen candidates who were, had been nominated to receive honorary degrees from the university. I did that for about three years and it was not unusual that in a given year we would, we would receive the names of uh, perhaps 20 to 30 candidates. It was our task to screen the list, review them, and then make a recommendation to the board, to the the Board of Regents, about who were the people who would receive honorary degrees at graduation in the spring. We usually did this in uh, in January for a February board meeting. We went through the 20 to 30 nominations that we had received, and we, we filtered it down to two. And we thought, good, strong candidates. We prepared the recommendations, sent them to the board, and I went to, I was at, we were at the board meeting uh, in, in February or so, and then the recommendations came to the floor of the board. Somebody stood up and said, Mr. President, I move that we uh, extend honorary degrees to these two people. And suddenly there was an ambush. That's how it felt. And what happened was that one of the nominees whom we had recommended in all good conscience was slightly controversial, but we had not gauged how controversial. And the reason that several, many of the people on the board stood up and objected was this. He did not pay his taxes. But he had declared publicly 
that he would not do so. His name was Raymond Hunthausen. He was the Archbishop of Seattle in those years. He was conscientiously opposed to the idea of any of his taxes being used for military purposes. And so he withheld a portion of his income taxes every year. The result was that, uh, well, that was not a good thing to do in the eyes of the IRS. But he took it to another level also. And when the Trident submarine base was being developed across Puget Sound over in Silverdale, he, along with a good number of other people, had taken small boats and they tried to block the submarines that were coming and going from the Trident base. And it was his protest of nuclear weaponry. When the vote was finally taken at the Board of Regents meeting, it was not unanimous, but we awarded only one degree, honorary degree, at the commencement services in the spring, and the one who did not receive the degree was the Archbishop of Seattle. It caused for a period of time an immense controversy. And every time I read and hear this story of is it lawful to pay taxes or not, I'm reminded of that. And of the moments when a group of us walked into that controversy that converged around politics, taxes, money, and authority. And I'm reminded of how incredibly difficult and how smart Jesus was, and we were not, to wade into it. We got ambushed. It happened another time in the Gospels. You can read about any number of these. I'm picking out several of them, and it sounded like this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. And they ambushed Jesus again. Because the men, the men who had asked the question, only wanted Jesus to bless some bad things they were doing, which was deciding in an instant that they, for whatever reason, did not want to be married to the woman that they were married to. And so they asked Jesus, would you kind of give us permission to divorce our wives just like that? And Jesus never said no. Well, actually, this is what he had to say about that. He went on to talk to them about what did Moses say? What did that law mean? And he compelled them to answer the question themselves in their hearts. He never once landed on them about judgment. It was implied. They knew what it was about. And they knew it was a weasel question. They tried to ambush Jesus. And once again, our Lord comes back with the response, 
that is confront it confronts the issue but Jesus simply says get a clue you cannot you cannot get away with that kind of tactic and that kind of manipulation here's another instance just then a man came up to Jesus and asked teacher what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Straightforward, very straightforward question. The man listens attentively to Jesus' answer, and this is what our Lord says. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness and honor your father and your mother. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. Ten Commandments, at least a portion of them. How simple is that? I can imagine the man's eyes brightening. Jesus says these words to him, and he says, Ka-ching, eternal life. Sounds so uncomplicated. He has obeyed these laws since his youth. He may have grown up in the Lutheran church. He probably was confirmed. He knew how to make tuna casserole. He knew it all. Here's what happens. By the way, Jesus says, sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. If you're going to try to ambush Jesus, you simply have to know it's really a bad idea. Love, forgiveness, acceptance, compassion, forgiveness, and the truth will always prevail. I remember it as a, as a very, very pleasant summer day at uh, First Lutheran Church. Attendance was uh, a little more modest in, in summer, as it often is in churches. And sitting in the front, maybe half a dozen rows from, from here, uh, was a woman who came in that day, sat down, and I thought I recognized her, but I, 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 I couldn't connect. She clearly was comfortable uh, in Lutheran worship, you know, stand, sit, responses, uh, do the right thing. She was clearly very comfortable, and she had a great voice, very bold and very, not uh, overwhelming, but people could hear, I could hear her singing from where I was. On the way out of church, I uh, greeted her at the door and said hello, and I said, hi, Barry Rogie, and she gave me her name, and I remembered, I think I'd met her before in some other context. And I said, uh, and she, you know, gave me her card, and I said, could I call you? Or she'd fill out a registration. But anyway, I said, could I call you this week? I'd like to tell you more about First Lutheran. And perhaps you'd like to know more about us and to, uh, learn more about this congregation. And she said, no. Actually, she said when I called her, and I, 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 I talked to her, and I said, would you like to know more about the church? And then she said, no. And it was abrupt. It was very straightforward. And I said, well, did, did something happen? Did, you know, I mean, this sounds so much different than the conversation that we had. I felt ambushed by that. 
And I said, what happened? And she said, this is what happened. People greeted me and said hello to me, but then more than one person came up to me and said, you have such a great voice, you know, we need people in our choir, would you join our choir? She got ambushed. And she said, I've gone to several other Lutheran churches in the area, and that has happened to me more times than I care to recount. And people greeted me, but nobody ever said, nobody had ever asked me, gosh, welcome, how are you? You have a beautiful voice, and we're really glad that you enriched our worship. No, it was, we need people in the choir. She felt ambushed. She and I got to know each other because we worked together on some events and activities in the community. And I remembered, I remembered afterwards that the reason I had recognized in her is she was a television personality. And that's how I'd known her. But the gifts that she carried and that she brought and could have brought into the life of that congregation were completely dismissed. And she said to me, nobody seemed to want to know who I am apart from the fact that I can sing well. And that was sad, isn't it, that that happened? We've all been ambushed in some way or another. I know it's happened to all of us. I heard a few stories after church earlier where folks telling me how and why, not why, but how that had happened to them and how difficult it felt and how uncomfortable it was. And I imagine that some of us, if not all of us, have ambushed some other people. I've done it. And I'll tell you how I've done it. As a parish pastor for these years, there's one word that I love to hear, and it's yes. I ask people to be engaged. I ask, will you be on the ministry team? Will you do this? Will you do this? I love to get to yes. And I know that sometimes I've put people in difficult places I know that I've ambushed some people. I probably knew I was doing it, but sometimes I probably didn't because I wanted to get to the yes. And I know sometimes when I've done that, the outcomes haven't been good either for me or for the people whom I've tried to engage and to bring in because my motivations were a little skewed And it just did not work well. We've all been ambushed in some ways. Maybe it's been a health issue that came from somewhere you didn't expect. Maybe it's been a relationship that's collapsed that you still don't understand why. Perhaps it's been a marriage that hasn't worked and you aren't sure was the I the ambushor or the ambushee? Perhaps it's been the loss of a job and you never knew where it was coming from. 
And if that's ever happened to you, and I'm sure all of us have felt that way at some time or another, our first human response is frequently this, to get even. Somehow to make ourselves feel better by making somebody else feel bad. And that's where Jesus' manner of dealing with ambushes, I hope, is so helpful. Because whenever it happened, our Lord always comes back with honesty, with the truth, and with a way of saying to those around him, you, this is about your relationship to God, and I can't fix that for you, and don't try to manipulate me into giving you an answer that is simply going to help you feel better because Jesus always, always responds with love. Have you heard the saying, all's fair in love and war? The source of the quotation actually is by a British writer, Edward Lilly, and the, the, his actual quotation is this. The rules of fair play do not apply in love and war. And I have a little bit different spin on that based on what I read in the Gospels, and it's this. If somebody treats me badly or unfairly, my usual human response is to try to get even and come back with the same thing. And in most circumstances, that's thought to be fair. That's fair. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. From Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you this, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Not if, but when you feel ambushed. These are our Lord's words to us. Regardless of what it is, it's the response of love and compassion, of forgiveness. Not capitulation, not at all. But the response of forthright, truth-spoken love. Because for us, who are God's people, it is really about how do we express and reflect the relationship that we say that we value. Please join with me in prayer. Gracious Lord, the moments are there when it feels like what we want is retribution. When we want to get even, when we're ambushed, we want to strike back. But we pray today that we could hear your promise and your words which suggest that it finally is about how we honor love and forgiveness and acceptance in the most truthful and helpful way. If we're surprised and ambushed, we pray only for the wisdom, the patience, and the ability, and the faith to offer that response which reflects our relationship to you in all that we say and in all that we do. 
We pray then, Jesus, in your name. Amen.